see the kids have uh, gone out to Sunday school, so that must be my cue to start. Let's open the scriptures this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to continue in our series and we'll commence reading at verse 10 and we'll go right through to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than that, other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. Verse 21. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. <coughs> Titled my message this morning, Be Careful How You Build. I see Alex smiling back there. He resonates with that. But I hope this message resonates with us all this morning. You know, one of the strongest motivations to excel in something is knowing that there will be an assessment or an inspection coming up, right? Some of you here rent houses. I've rented houses before. And you're encouraged to look after it because of an upcoming assessment. If you're studying... You need to apply yourself and do your best as there will be an exam or an assessment. All of us need to keep our taxation details tidy, don't we? Because they will be inspected by the tax department sometime or other. Ask Damien about that. For those who are on the work site, often our work is assessed for its productivity and effectiveness. Even your breath and your body fluids are assessed these days for illegal substances. Inspections or being assessed is a common happening in our day. And generally speaking, they motivate us, 
That's what they're designed to do, to motivate us to do what is right or at least to do what management or the law of the land want us to do or how to behave. And the building industry is no different. In the building industry, you've got to submit plans for those who have ever built a house or anything like that. And once your plans have been inspected and assessed and passed, but that's not all because when the building takes place, there are numerous other inspections which by law need to take place in order to carry out to the next stage of of the building. And I'm sure Alex knows all about that as he waits for inspectors to inspect his work to approve it before he's allowed to continue. That's just how it is. Well, in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul draws this an amazing word picture for us to look at. It's a word picture where its readers are caused to see the church as a building under construction. We see this in verse 9. We're told that. We ended that with last week. You are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So the church is a building under construction. And those involved in this building project are believers who will have their works and the material they use inspected or assessed as to their quality. That's the picture he's drawing here. And so far, the Corinthians, these historic people, have failed badly. And the reason they have failed badly, thus far in our letter that we have here, is they have succumbed to external influences of worldly wisdom. And we've talked about that and how they've done that, and what the result has been. But also, as we had a look last week, they have succumbed to internal fleshly desires. And both of these put together have resulted in something, and we saw that last week. It was strife and jealousy, which was division, which caused division, okay? See that in verse 3 of chapter 3. And so their building project was in disarray. It was not progressing and and Paul now exhorts them here in this letter, he exhorts them to build according to the master's plan as there will be a day of assessment. Okay folks, forget the history and come right down to where we are today. We need to understand that there will be an inspection day coming And this is one inspection that we want to take and should take very seriously. And like any upcoming assessment, this one above all others is the inspection that every believer wants to pass and to pass well, right? Apostle Paul himself, he was motivated in his whole life of ministry to give the Lord the greatest glory that he could possibly give in order to hear well done in the coming day, well done, good and faithful servant. He was motivated for a day of assessment, by the day of assessment. He could say to the Philippian church on another occasion, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to that which lies ahead, I press toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. We have that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He was motivated by what lay ahead for him, this assessment, this, this time of reward. Now, folks, are we motivated like that by God's inevitable inspection? Well, may we all be those who pass the test, pass the assessment, and we can. How can we do that? Simply by following Paul's instruction. The wise master builder, he calls himself here. And um, I've just given, got here for um, this message's purpose. He gives us a three-point plan of how we can pass this and hear those wonderful words in the coming day. Well done, good and faithful servant. The first plan is building on the right foundations. This is an absolute necessity. We see this in verses 10 and 11. And so Paul in this, he starts from the bottom up, so to speak. And he says, According to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, please note Paul's role here. What did he do? He was the one who laid a foundation. We can call him a foundation layer, if you like, in the church. He's stating that very clearly that the established church at Corinth and any other church that he planted was not a result of his human experience or not a result of his, of his human expertise, I should say. Or wasn't a result of his wise cultural sensitivity or any other human ability. No, no, it wasn't a result of that that he was a foundation layer of the church. He was not a church planter because he passed a church planter's survey, so to speak, which proved that he had all the right charisma to do this job before him. No, 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 that wasn't it at all. What we see here, he, he was made a, a foundational church builder, not because he chose to, but because God chose him and gave him all the grace that he needed to effectively and successfully do the job. You see, he calls himself a wise master builder in our text, which is where we get, by the way, the word, our word, architect from, that word is. That's where we get the word architect from. But the word, this word in Paul's day was a little bit different than what we would think of architect today because it encompassed both a designer and a builder. You ask any builder, on the worksite today about architects and designers and more often or more likely you will hear frustration over an architect's lack of on-site building experience. In the office, the plans will look good in theory. They'll look beautiful. But often when they get out onto the job site, those intricate plans fail in making everything fit like the plans say they should. And so the builder gets frustrated with the architect. Well, Paul himself here calls him a wise master builder, where we get this word architect from. But he was a man who designed and also got his hands dirty on the job site. You get the picture? 
But this was not a career choice, as I've said. It wasn't a career choice that he was in any way boasting of. He wasn't putting himself forward because it was God, as we see here, it was God who made him a wise master builder. So Paul's success as a a foundation layer of the church was God's doing. He could later say, by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain but I laboured even more, more than all of them yet not I but the grace of God with me. We have that in chapter 15, verse 10 of this, of this letter. So Paul was a foundation layer for the church at Corinth and every other true church or New Testament church that is built. He tells Ephesian believers something similar. He wrote a letter to the Ephesian church and he said uh, of this church is one foundation in Ephesians 2.20, knowing or having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You see, this foundational building ministry of the New Testament church was a task of the apostles and prophets. And here in Corinth, here in Corinth, which we're looking at now, Paul was the apostle chosen for the task. And after he left, another began building upon what he had laid. You get the picture? And in the case of Corinth, the man after him was Apollos. Great man of God. Great speaking ability is recorded in Scripture. But he was the builder. He built on what Apostle Paul laid. Another church that was founded by the Apostle Paul was Ephesus. And the man who built upon the foundation the Apostle Paul laid was Timothy. We have that in Ephesians 1.3. And so what was this foundation? What was it that Paul laid? What was so special about this foundation? Well, this foundation was the revelation and explanation of gospel truth for which churches are to be built upon. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Galatians chapter 1 verse 12 tells us, Paul says there to the Galatians, I received this foundation, if you like. I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's not as if we're char- we hear the word church plant of the day. It's not as if we are equating, we can equate a church plant of the day with the Apostle Paul. No, no, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, they received special revelation from God, directly from God, and then they told or they put into practice the revelation that they received from God. And so anyone after that are builders, okay? So we're builders this morning. So, so the foundation the apostles laid revealed truth about what? It revealed truth, first of all, about the new covenant. That was something new on the scene in the apostles' day, wasn't it? So he told them about the new covenant and how it replaced the old covenant with sacrifices and offerings day after day, year after year, pointed to Jesus Christ. But now Jesus Christ had come and offered himself as a sacrifice once for all. This is the new covenant. And so Paul was teaching them about this and laying this foundation down as it was told to him from Jesus Christ himself, from God himself. And so God, Paul, knowing this foundation, knowing this foundational truth that it came from God, it was a revelation given to him and to him alone, he was rightly concerned that those who followed on after him and built upon the foundation that he was given from God, 
He was very concerned that they had the same concern about getting it right just as he did. Okay? That's why he, rec- that's why he calls to account future builders. Okay? He calls to account future builders by saying, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. You see that? It's a warning there. It's a statement, but it's also a warning, a a, a concerned warning, how careful that we need to be. Now, as we look at this text, we see in its primary setting that each man here, it says, it's in reference to pastors and teachers and evangelists and those who continue to build continue to build on this apostolic foundation. But none of us get off the hook here because we cannot ignore the broader context or the implications of, this, of the context here because eight times we see in this little section where it says each man, each man, every man, every man, each man, etc., etc., eight times. And so what this implies is that all of us in some way or other are builders. You got that? Every single one of us who are true believers, we're builders. The designing has been done. The foundation has been laid, which is Christ. But Paul, the apostles, they were the ones who were, this true foundation was revealed to them from the very mouth of God. They laid the foundation and we are builders, and every believer is a builder. You, know, how do we, you say, well, how does that be? How, 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 how am I a builder on this foundation that the apostles laid? We build by what we say. But we, we build by what we do. We build by how we treat others. We build by how we serve in the church. We build by our attitudes that we portray and, and that motivate us and drive us. We, we, we build in our witness in the home, in the workplace. We all as believers to some extent build by teaching the gospel. Some of us are more gifted at communicating the gospel verbally. But all of us are responsible to live out the gospel which a lot of truth in the old adage that says actions speak louder than words. So all of us are involved in this building business of the gospel, building on this foundation. My dear people, the implication is clear here. We dare not be careless, right? We dare not be careless in how we go about our gospel building. We need and must be careful that we do not cause division or tear down... By being what? By being lazy, by being indifferent, by being careless or disobedient builders. We dare not be that. Because as every man is a gospel builder on the job site 24-7, whether we like it or not, we are all responsible and one day will be held to account. Please note in verse 11 that the foundation Paul laid was not the, the bedrock or the cornerstone of biblical Christianity as that is Jesus Christ and him alone and that's been stressed already this morning. Paul did not design the foundation, he only laid it. As I said, Paul took the divine plan that had been planned from eternity past by God and all its intricate detail. He took that plan from the very mouth of God, as it were, and he took it to the work site. And in this case we're reading about is in the city of Corinth. And people got saved. 
They got redeemed by God's grace. But things were falling apart here because they hadn't grasped it rightly. They hadn't, hadn't continued on to grow as we looked last week. They were still babes. They should have progressed in their maturity, but they, they were not. As we're thinking about this, this is where many religious groups of our day have got it wrong and that they, they've tried to design a foundation for the church in other ways, in man-made ways. Much of religion today is based on, on works and on what you can do and how moral you can be and how, how well you hold to some religious, may even be well, good traditions. This is foundational to them. But these are man-made foundations, folks. And true Christianity, the biblical church, only has one foundation. And that is Jesus Christ and Him alone, plus nothing else. So what happens to these false religions? To these people who ignorantly and in their blindness cling to something that's as false. Remember the story in Matthew chapter 7, right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells about two houses being built. One house was built on the sand, another house was built on the rock, right? You know, the house was built on the sand and the storms of life came, except the storms came and the house crumbled, dismantled. The other one that was built on the rock, the storms came and it stood firm. The rock speaking of those Sometimes people get this wrong. They think, oh, there's a rock speaking of Christ. But no, no, in the context, it tells us right at the beginning of that little section that the rock speaks of those who hear the word. Okay? They hear the truth. They hear the gospel. They hear the foundation of Jesus Christ spoken of. And you know what they do? They respond to it obediently. That's the rock. That's building your house on a rock. How true it is that many build their lives on faulty foundations. They may look good, they may look attractive and even super religious, but when the storms of life rage and eternity dawns, their foundations will crumble and great will be the fall thereof. We have the right foundations. You don't have to worry about that, folks. We have the right foundation as recorded in God's Word here. We come to our second point here and we see that building with the right materials. We see this in verses 12 to 15. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it has, been, has to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Well, what a great peace of mind and heart we can have knowing that the foundation of our faith is secure and rock solid in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful truth. We have no need to be concerned about, the, about the, the quality of our foundation because it has been designed by God and has been laid by his chosen apostles and in this case, the Apostle Paul. 
But what we do need to be concerned about is what we use and how we go about building on that good foundation. That's what we need to be concerned about. And this section here that we've got is all about the quality and the, of the spiritual building materials that we use in our spiritual building mission. This is what this section's about. You see, God is concerned for quality in his church and in the lives of his people. He really is. He's really concerned for that. It grieves the heart of God, if we might say, for him to see and have mediocre Christians. He wants quality. He wants us to use the best of materials to build with. He wants us to be gold, silver and precious stones builders. That's what he wants. He wants us to to shun using inferior, low-quality wood, hay and straw stuff. Twenty years ago, maybe a little bit more now, time goes when you're having fun, many of the homes, upmarket homes that were built in New Zealand began using this cladding that was new and trendy, inexpensive, but it looked really good. It really did. Actually, to the naked eye, you couldn't tell if this was the true and tried decorative solid concrete that it was only uh, compared to to um, this laminated new stuff that they were using. But anyway, 10 years down the track, all was revealed in thousands of homes upmarket homes in and around the country. All was revealed. This new trendy cladding came unstuck. It leaked, it cracked. It did not stand the test of times. There were big lawsuits. There was people up in arms, etc., etc. You can imagine. Folks, Paul says here that God knows, God sees, and the truth about the materials we use in his building will be revealed. Will be revealed. The materials we use do not represent healthy bank accounts, even though that is very attractive. It does not represent, the, the materials we use do not represent even our abilities and our giftedness that we might have. After all, remember, as I said last week, the church at Corinth was the most gifted church there ever has been when it came to spiritual gifts. It doesn't represent those things. This is not even having or affording to have the most eloquent and inspiring pastor that you could afford. It's not about that. Now, all these things are not bad in and of themselves. Some of them may be good. But the building materials, they're not about that. These, the materials spoken of here in our text represent our responses, you got that? They represent our responses, our individual responses and then our collective response as a church. They represent how well we serve the Lord and with what he has given us. They represent our response to the Lord with what we have right now, what we will have tomorrow, what we'll have in years ahead, how 
going to respond with what we have. In other words, folks, these materials represent our works, our service in God's building, in this church that you now belong to. True, we are not saved by these works. Don't get that idea. We're not saved by these works. But know this. Paul tells the Ephesian believers in chapter 2, verse 10, Every believer is created, this is what he says, every believer is created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You hear that? It's our works, our building, our serving that will be scrutinized, folks. It's all about how we go about what we do for Christ that will be divinely assessed on inspection day. This will be all weighed. Oops, I jumped that. There we are. This will be all weighed in God's fiery balances on inspection day. They will either bring God's glory, God glory, because of our serving and building is is valued by God as gold, silver, and precious stones, or they'll be consumed in the testing fire. Because our service, our building materials were second rate, wood, hay and straw. Yes, the believer will be saved. We're not talking about loss of salvation here. The scriptures clearly teach that a person who is truly saved and belongs to the Lord is eternally secure. God's not one of these people who saves and said, oh, I've got to change my mind because he's not, he's not doing too good or she's not doing too good. I'll throw him out again. No, 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 no. That's a works-based salvation in reverse. Basically, like, I'll, yeah, yeah, saved by faith, but uh, if you're not very good after that, I'll throw you out again. See what I mean? We're saved on the basis of God's grace. We are eternally secure. And that coming inspection day, we're not talking about salvation being forfeited here. No, that will not happen. This is why it says in verses 15, yet he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. You see that? That's what that's about. The idea here is of a person running through the fire without being burned, but he comes out the other side smelling a whole lot like smoke. That's what it has the idea here. Barely escaping. This tells us that that our service can result in loss and shame for having served the Saviour so poorly in our life as a Christian. I believe this is what the Apostle John had in mind when the Apostle John said in 1 John 2 and 28, and now little children, believers, right? We're not speaking, we're just speaking to believers. And now little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You hear that? What kind of materials are you building with, folks? Will they stand the fiery inspection of the Lord in a coming day? You know, it can be really really tempting to go for second best, isn't it? Yeah, I'm in this too. I want to be inspected. Matter of fact, I'll be inspected in a whole lot more detail than you probably many of you will be. Anyone who stands up and preaches and teaches the word in a public place like this is going to be greatly inspected. We're going to be held more accountable. 
So what kind of materials are you building with? It can be tempting to go for second best and to take shortcuts. Take shortcuts with our own lives and take shortcuts even with our family's lives. It can be really tempting to do that in this building project because we often gravitate towards what is easiest. Do you ever know that? We gravitate so often toward what is easiest and what's more comfortable and whatever costs us less time and whatever costs us less effort rather than that which requires commitment and sacrifice. We can hold back on, on warning our brothers and sisters of, of the spiritual danger that they might be, they might be in just in order to be, feel comfortable ourselves rather than speak to them in grace and love. We do what we have to do so often instead of all we can do. We often choose convenience over sacrifice. We can even try a shortcut by giving more money rather than getting too involved. All these things, though they may appear okay and look okay to ourselves, I believe are wood, hay and straw material, folks. May we be those who go for gold. Go for gold by using what God has given us for his glory. This brings us to our third point, building with the right attitudes. We see this in verses 16 to 23. You see, the underlying issue producing division in the Corinthian church came right down to having wrong attitudes. You must agree, in order to build right, we must be those who think right. We must have the right attitude. The Corinthian church had wrong attitudes about so many things, but I believe they're kind of listed here in verses 16 and 17. We see that they had a wrong attitude about the church. And this is something that we must understand and respond to here, and that is the church, the collective body of spirit and dwelt believers, is God's sanctuary. It's his temple. Do you see that? Yes, our individual bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have this later on in the letter in chapter 6 and verse 19. True. But here we have the church in mind in view. It's the church that is sacred to God. It's his inner sanctuary. It's, it's the most holy place. It's viewed as God, listen to this, it's viewed by God as being the shrine of his presence. That's what the local church is. That's the idea here. And why is that? Why is it regarded so awesomely holy by God himself? Simply this, his Holy Spirit resides here. In amongst us, wherever we are, even if this building burnt down tomorrow and we met out in the car park, that's where he would be with his body of believers. That's why the church is the shrine of his presence. My dear people, how dare we treat lightly with a come-and-go attitude this living organism where God himself is its heartbeat. And we, his blood-brought servants, we gather to worship him. And he deigns to indwell us and call us the shrine of his presence. 
Worship him with what, we might say. We worship him sacrificially with whatever God has given us. This understanding of the church and how dear it is to the heart of God imposes upon us that we need to be a place of corporation rather than division, right? When believers allow pettiness and personal preferences destroy the unity of the body of Christ, the shrine of His presence, we are stepping on dangerous ground, folks. We really are. And we see a lot of that today. Come and go, here, there. I don't like this church. Flip off here for some petty thing and go somewhere else. That's division. That's treating the church lightly. Having a wrong attitude about the church. It's destroying God's temple and God takes that personally. We are in essence, when we are like that, sabotaging God's church. He warns that such division will not be tolerated and divine judgment, as we read in chapter 11 and verse 30 of this letter, where God disciplined the Corinthians, he disciplined them, you know what, with what? With weakness and he disciplined with sickness and he even killed some. He took them out. That's how he reveres. That's how he holds the local church in his view. Don't hear much about this these days, do you? But this is what it says here. And so may we regard highly and think rightly of the local assembly, for in us God has chosen to dwell. That's an awesome thought, right? Awesome truth. Another wrong attitude that they had was about their own wisdom. We have discussed this at some length in prior chapters, but we see it brought up again in verses 18 to 20. Here Paul urges believers to abandon the wisdom of the world and instead adopt an attitude of humility. Oh, that we might be more humble. Oh, that I might be more humble. We can be so arrogant and full of ourselves sometimes. He encourages us to be teachable rather than thinking that we have it all figured out. In other words, arrogant know-it-alls. He says we must be willing to become a fool. That is, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the world, we must become a fool if that is what is necessary to follow and serve the Lord, if that's what's necessary. So be it. And finally, we see the wrong thinking about ownership. These people had real hang-ups about who owns what and who belongs to who. Their thinking was selfishly divisive. And I think this is very, very apt for our Western world and our Western culture. Here they were saying back in this, uh, in this church, I follow Peter, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus. No, but oh, no, I'm one up on you guys, I follow Christ. Whether it was their earthly possessions, their favorite apostle, or even the Lord himself, they were fighting and boasting over who can rightfully claim what and who rightfully belongs to who. And so Paul comes in and he rebukes them for this wrong attitude about ownership. Let no one boast in men, for all things belong to us. Paul corrects believers who have this divisive way of thinking. He says, all things belong to you. In other words, he says about Peter and Paul and Apollos, all these men are yours for your edification. And then he says, the world is ours. And it is, right? 
Sin has got to be dealt with. God built his, God created his world for his people, Adam and Eve. That's the idea here. He created his, his, this world for his people. And we now are his people. This world is ours. But I believe it has more behind it because one day we know that the Lord is going to refurbish this world, this earth. We're talking about this cosmos here. We're not talking about the systems. The systems are going to be dealt with and judged with in finality and eternity. But we're talking about this world. He's going to create it, recreate it. He's going to refurbish it. He's going to refashion it. And I'm looking forward to a millennium reign where the Lord will reign himself. This is our will, folks. As I've said before, God created mankind to be earth dwellers and it's only his redeemed who will dwell on the earth. And then further on, if you want to project yourself further on, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. It's all ours, folks. It's all ours. Life is ours. That's what he also says. Not only says this world, but he says this life is ours. We have new life. We have eternal life. We have abundant life. We don't. We do, don't we? Absolutely we do. Death is ours. What does it mean by that? It simply means that it's not an issue in our lives anymore. Death is the, the one big manslayer that None of us are exempt from. And because eternity is stamped in mankind's heart, the gen- regenerate and the unregenerate always have this thinking of what lies ahead. But death is not an issue for us. Absent from the body and present with the Lord. Death is ours. It's been conquered for us in Christ and we will never be enslaved by the clutches of death again. Death is ours. So Paul says, in other words, why fight and divide over things that in Christ we all can and should rightly enjoy and give God glory in? All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. That's what he's saying here. This last, kind of, this last statement kind of ties it all in and, uh, and covers it all. And uh, the greatest motive for unity in the church and, and shunning division is, of course, knowing that we belong to Christ and that Christ belongs to God. My dear people, because we belong to him, no matter who we are, what we may, what we may have, where we have come from, no matter what, we are one people belonging to one another who belong to Christ. That's a beautiful symmetry, right? That's a beautiful symmetry. I see different people, backgrounds, ethnicity groups. We're all one. Because we, why? Because we all get along with one another? Or we enjoy one another's company? No. It's not that at all. Because we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So hence we can call one another brothers and sisters. Now, do we think and live and order our lives on these understandings? Do we really? Do we have a right attitude toward the temple of God? Toward our Heavenly Father's world that He has given us? Toward all things and experience of life? Do we have right attitudes about them? Toward one another and Christ Himself? Because this is the kind of material 
that undergirds all our spiritual building. This is what spiritual building is made of. I don't care what you do, but if you've got a wrong attitude and why and how you're doing it, it's wood, hay and stubble, folks. It will be. Our attitude is what drives our responses to build for Christ and these are what will be tested by fire. How will they read? How will they read? Gold, silver and precious stones or wood, hay and straw? Now, you may be here this morning and you're thinking, foundation, all this testing? I don't even know whether I have a right foundation. Well, if that is the case, I'm not going to fail in my duty here in telling you that if you're not sure about your foundation, that you can either have a foundation to build upon, you need to come to Christ. You need to repent before God and in faith accept Jesus Christ as the one who has paid for your sin. By faith you do that. So you turn from your sin and in faith you accept Jesus Christ, the one who is the cornerstone, the foundation stone. And you need to come to him and then you will have the right foundation. My people, the assessment day is coming. Our assessment day is coming. That's pretty serious, right? Pretty serious. May we be encouraged to go for gold. May we be encouraged to go for gold. And to hear those words, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You want that? I am really wanting that. I am really wanting that. I know I fail so many times. But Lord... By your grace, give me right attitudes and right thinking so that I might build with the right materials and hear those words in a coming day where the Lord will value my service as gold, silver and precious stones and not wood, hay and stubble. May that be your case as well this morning. Let's take a couple of minutes of silence for you to just reflect on some of the things that have been spoken and read from the scriptures before I close the benediction.